No, no, these are messages from our fans again. Because <laughs> people really appreciate that segment. <laughs> the people that I talked about, Duncan. Who is this Duncan? What is a Duncan? Duncan's our, one of our fans. Really? Yeah. We have a fan called Duncan. From Slough. <laughs> he was from Hull last week. Has he moved? Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Been very stressful. <laughs> I can imagine. Moving from Hull to Slough, that's quite the trip. Do you, want, do, you want to, do you want to hear these messages? Go on, you can give me a message. I'm, I'm always up for hearing from our fans. Um, so this is from Bobby. Well, this is what he put. I think it's his nickname. Bobby the Seahorse Harris. Okay. Does, um, is, is he a, a stay-at-home uh, dad? I don't know, but he didn't tell us where he's from either. Okay. I play your podcast through my TV to keep my dogs company whilst I look for money on the beach. Um, <laughs> he, he asks... What is history and how can I wield it? Well, that's a very good question. History is everything that happened before lunchtime. Yeah. And you can wield it by just citing it incorrectly to try and win an argument. That's that's what I like to do. There you go, Bob. Yeah. B. The more the more blatant the lie and the more forcefully it's said, the better, really. Imagine all caps. That's okay. that's where you want to be with it. Continue listening. Good. Thank you for yeah. your um, messages to us. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... But this is, yeah, this is a special episode, because it's our April Fool's episode, which means that all the normal rules out the window. What, so you're actually going to give real historical oh no we're still it's still going to be very sketchy in the history department but some of the rules will be out the window as you will learn so this story takes place in the seas and the oceans of this planet our world and that's all you're getting and your three words fellis catus ships fellis they sound littoral to me well, I've cheated a little bit. It's Felis Catus and ships. What's uh, the, the the character out of Gladiator called? Um, Maximus. Felis Catus. No, it is Latin. Well yeah. done. You've got that. <laughs> we're in. We're in. Father of a murdered wife. <laughs> it's it's not him. No. Okay. Yeah. Where do you think we are? In the world. Yep. In I think we're a bit wet. No, we're not. I'm really warm in this puncture. It's too warm. Oh, Hold on. <laughs> so, as it's our April Fool's episode, we're going to cover a story that might not be 100% true, okay? But I think it's quite a good story, so we're going to claim it is. Definitely 100% true, Okay. Okay. And the story actually starts on April the 1st Could I itself. interject before you even start? Okay. I got April fooled once. Mm. Every year my, my mate would April fools me and I would never be aware of what day it was because mm. I couldn't read calendars. Um, anyway, he told me that his, they had, they'd had a kitchen fire at his house. I must have been about like 12 um, and that his, part of his house had burnt down. And I told our mum, and my mum rang his mum, and his mum lied and said that they had a kitchen fire. (laughs) 
It was a double whammy. I, to be honest, props to the mum who realised what <laughs> happened and doubled down yeah, on yeah, the just lie. Went with it. That's brilliant. Isn't that great? Well, there's no. Actually, there might be fire in this one. We'll we'll have to. Yeah, I think uh, there's a good chance there's fire in this one. Actually, thinking about it, so. Do you remember what you're doing? April Fool's Day. Okay. Is this the history of where it started from? No. Oh. But it just so happens to start on April Fool's Day because April Fool's Day, 1815, a baby was born in Prussia. Which is Germany. It was one of the German states, yes, before Germany was Germany. This baby, he was named Otto Edward Leopold, strong name, mm-hmm. and he had a dream. He'd, he'd grown up a little bit oh, before right, he had a dream, had a dream, but eventually he developed a dream. I'm and sure that he had many dream. dreams, but he couldn't express them. Yeah. Yeah. He he developed language skills and then yeah. he expressed a, a dream. dream he was having. Yeah. And his dream was of a unified Germany. And it will become the driving force of his entire life. First, Otto became president of Prussia. That's quick. Yeah, well he was he was quite a good um parliamentarian politician, but it also helped he was the Prince of Bismarck. Is that a good position to be in? It means he's you know, he's got the leg up being one of the, the German princes. Um, then, so he's taken this position, President of Prussia, decided, I need to show the people that I mean business. He had two short wars. Uh, the first one was with Denmark in 1864, and then he had another little one with Austria in 1866, winning both. Cool. And what, what happens when you win a war at that point? You... Uh, he was just showing off. Oh, you don't play for keeps? Oh, no, he didn't, he didn't like, take over Denmark and, and then take over Austria. He just beat them, to prove a point. He then suggested, subtly, to the other North German states that there were, that it was better to be with Prussia than to be against Prussia. Because you've seen what happens to people who go against Prussia. Right, right. You get bested in a war within a year. Uh, And they all kind of nodded, went, yeah. And by 1867, the North German Confederation was formed with Otto von Bismarck as its first president. Doesn't sound like a real name, that, does it? Otto von Bismarck. There's no Otto von Bismarcks anymore. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Bismarck, it was a family. Well, it was a, yeah, it was a title. So I assume there is a Bismarck. And Otto, I again, would think would be a, a name that people are still called in Germany. Yeah, it'd be quite a cool friend to have. Well, Otto, yeah. yeah. The, uh, maybe I'm just thinking of the Simpsons yeah. character. <laughs> yeah. If, you, if it helps to think of Otto von Bismarck as, you know, a German version of Otto from The Simpsons, you'd be 100% wrong. Wait, what's but it might help. German kid called in Simpsons? Uta. Uta. <laughs> is he German? Is he Austrian? I don't know. Anyway, Bismarck, he was happy that he got all the North German states together, but... Can we call him Bismarcky Mark? For this one, I normally let you go with these. We've got to stick with Bismarck. He decided one more war would bring the southern German states in line. He could have his unified Germany. And he had the perfect opportunity in 1870 when a dispute arose with France over who should be king of Spain. Okay. So the North German Confederation fought the French to decide who should be king of Spain because that's the way European politics works. Uh, And he was able to win the war within a month. Yeah. Capturing... What kind of weapons were they using at this point? You had guns at this point. Okay, what year are we in? We're at, well, we're in 1870. Oh, right. So, uh, you know. So someone in a car somewhere? Mm, possibly, maybe just a bit before cars. Well, you know what they're like, the, the military would have had it like 20 years before the consumer. <laughs> possibly, I, I don't know. 
But they definitely, whatever they had, they were able to spank the French within a month, capturing both French armies and the Emperor Napoleon III. So that's a pretty comprehensive win. If you manage to round up two separate armies and, and take yeah and take the Napoleon of the time, you've done pretty well. So in 1871, the southern states, they joined the unified Germany as well because they thought, this ain't a guy to mess with. You know, the, these Prussians have just kicked the arse of France, which is, I mean, they've got the reputation for being a bit crap at war. Right. But that is not a fair reputation. They've won more wars than any other nation. They are Wait, they are historically the best at war. We do German history this time. Are we? Is that is one that... of the rules I've broken? Who knows? Let's continue. <laughs> You've run out of English stories. Oh. Uh, no, after achieving his goal, Otto could see that consolidating power for the new Germany would rely on keeping the peace in Europe, not wars. No more wars. Because the problem with where Germany is... Enough blood has been spoke this night. Is it, well, Germany's kind of in the middle of Europe, so if you start having what? wars around Europe, you're probably going to end up with, you know, people coming at you from many different directions. It's not like with... You're going to get flanked. Well, yeah, it's not like with England, where basically, if there's a war from Europe coming at us, it's it's coming from one direction. Yeah. We know what we're doing. It's and like, we've got all the, the water in the way. Yeah, you know, we we've got quite an an obvious strategy for defence, whereas Germany have lots of borders with lots of people. So he did a complete 180, and instead of being this, you know, warmongering sort of tactician, he became a master of diplomacy. I'm bringing you back a little bit, just because you're popping. Okay. I'm going to put your pop shield right in front of your poppy face. So he became a a master of diplomacy, and he ensured a period of peace amongst Europe's great powers for 20 years. Wow, what a lot of peas, just in time. Say that sentence again. Let's count them all together, folks. (laughs) He became a master of diplomacy and ensured a period of peace amongst Europe's great powers, (laughs) reasoning that any war that broke out would have seen Germany being stretched, fighting over multiple fronts, and probably would have ended with his new alliance of German states falling apart. Right. He was particularly active in ensuring that disputes in the Balkan states were solved via negotiation rather than open conflict. Balkans. Mm. Yes. Russia? No, just go slightly west of Russia. Liechtenstein. Just stop guessing. Here we go. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Ukraine. Way! Yeah, <laughs> The Iron Chancellor is now remembered as the ultimate pragmatist. And very heavy. He adapted to change uh, really well, refusing to be tied to one particular ideology. Some of the things he did were very, very right-wing. Some of the things he did were borderline socialist. He started um, a sort of social care system way before any other European power because he saw that in order to tie his state together, he needed the working class to feel like they were part of a unified country. And the best way of doing that was to enact a socialist policy. So he went, sod it. That's what I'm I'm going to do. I'm not going to say, well, <clears throat> you know, I'm a conservative, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. He was all about... Were the, the lines ends. drawn at that point? In terms... Of, oh, yeah. In was, terms of left and right. Oh, they've been there. It was... it was it, Left and right is basically rich and poor. They've been there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so his approach was referred to as real politic. Uh, and it's best summed up in the quote... Politics is the art of the possible. So de- deal with the hand you dealt and do the best with it. So he's an optimist. He he was, yeah, I, I, 
I'd go and say he was an optimist and he was very good at making the best of the situation he found himself in. He was a bit handsome. Anyway, that's enough about Otto. Although it would have been interesting to know how he would have felt about having his name attached to Hitler's brand new super big warship, the Bismarck. Oh. Is this one of the airships the hydrogen one no this is a this is a, a boat this is a oh, sea right, faring vessel and this is oh the normal ship <laughs> yeah a big ship that he had built just in time for world war Two. unlike practical old otto hitler's entire thing was ideology he was trying to convince the german people that they had a destiny to rule i'm glad we're getting <clears> to <throat> a subject that's not been that well covered yeah. well as a result of this strong ideology things like diplomacy not really an option he wasn't known Let's be fair to him, as someone who kept his word. Hitler. Really? I don't know. I hold in my hand a piece of paper. (laughs) Yeah, I know you do, Neville. It's not going to help. Instead, Hitler was hoping that a blitzkrieg across all of Europe, using overwhelming force, would allow him to subjugate the other European powers before they had time to organise. So the entire gambit, really, of World War II boiled down was, while they're busy thinking that I'm going to do diplomacy, I'm just going to run roughshod over everything to the point where it doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've already crippled their ability to fight back. He was he was putting it all into this gamble of if we can win a European war quickly, Ooh, did it work? we'll be fine. Let's well, find out. Let's find out. The heavily armoured Bismarck warship, uh, it was launched on Valentine's Day 1939, and it had a crew... Of 2,221 men. Holy shit. And one cat. Called Corey Mittens. That's, that's, that's quite a big crew. Yeah, no, yeah. that's massive. <laughs> the Bismarck was sent on a first They could mission. do a flash dance or two. Oh, a flash mob on the deck, yeah. <laughs> Is that a mob? <laughs> flash flash no one dance is something completely different. To one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's flash dance? Flash dance is that film... At, I only know it from pop culture references, but if I'm getting it right, it's a lady welder who wants to be a dancer. Right. And there's a bit where she's kind of dancing around the the sort of factory that she works in. And what's a fleshlight? Well, that's that's when you um, inject yourself with bioluminescence. Do you not know what a f- fleshlight is? I do. I was, oh, right. I, was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to go for something a bit more PC. Oh, right. So... The Bismarck sent on a first mission in May 1941, and her mission was to disrupt British shipping in the Atlantic. Sorry, your hands are really (laughs) distracting me. I just need to interlace them with my... Do you want to try that again? The Bismarck was sent on a first mission in May 1941 to disrupt British shipping in the Atlantic. So this was to try and cripple England by making sure we couldn't get supplies in. Uh, Things didn't start off particularly well for the Bismarck and the Prince Eugene who she was sailing with, uh, because they were almost immediately spotted by Swedish planes. So they were trying to set off quietly, mm-hmm. not be seen, so that they could be sort of lost in the expanse of the Atlantic, picking off British shipping. But as they set off, for some reason, there were some Swedes flying over, and they were really good. A and they told eyesight. They told the British. They were like, by the way, massive, massive ship coming your way. You might want might to do something about that. Which is very nice of the Swedes. Thank you. The British found the German ships near Greenland. We can't understand you. Speak English. <laughs> what? What have you seen? <laughs> uh, oh, God. I, mm, 
I just, just I imagine that it just sounds like noise to my ears. <laughs> Learn the Queen's English. Come back then. God, but yes. So the British they listen to the Swedes. They got a, a, a an Anglo Swedish phrase book. Managed to decipher it, and they spotted the German ships near Greenland. But the ships that they sent to intercept were hideously outgunned. The Bismarck was a massive massive ship and it had massive massive guns so big they hadn't actually tested guns that size on a ship before are these these i think i've seen them shoot these cannons before mm. well the british ships they were smart enough that they thought we're get, we'll we know where they are now we'll go and get some we'll go and get the bigger boys and they retreated see with a ship that big you either you either match it in power, mm. or you get really sneaky and you like float over and. Well, that's dinghy. essentially what the dreadnought program was. Um, I think that's World War One, but we crew. had a we had a, a war of who could build the biggest ship, and all these dreadnought class ships never actually saw battle because World War One was you know mainly a ground war, but everyone thought it was going to be a naval battle, so it was just like we released a dreadnoughts class ship and then the Germans would release an even bigger ship and then we'd release an even bigger ship. Is that technology what led to these to the Bismarck mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. This was the same idea. We've got to have dominion over the seas. Um so the the English ships have they've retreated to a safe distance. They're waiting for reinforcements. They're like, there's no point in us getting involved. We'll just be we'll just be little matchsticks, you know, blown apart. The Bismarck with this massive gun, couldn't resist showing off. So thought, you know, they're probably out of range, but let's have a go with the big gun. Let's fire it. Oh, Not had a chance to wait. fire it yet. They've sunk their own ship. So they fired the really big gun, and it was impressive. But it caused quite a bit of vibration when you fired it. So much vibration, in fact, that it broke the radar equipment on the Bismarck. So Enraged Poseidon. <laughs> probably as well. But... Essentially, trying to show off to these tiny British ships that were already in awe of the Bismarck because they'd retreated, they hadn't even tried to engage it. They fired their big gun, which immediately knocked out their own radar. So they blinded themselves in a pissing contest with people who'd already admitted they were swinging the biggest dick. pissed into their own eyes. They did. Um, The following day, though, they were going to get a chance because the HMS Hood and the HMS Prince of Wales turned up. And they were bigger battleships, and they were ready to engage. What, the Bismarck? No, no, no. B- oh. Bigger than the British ships that had been sat right. there patiently waiting. So they called for reinforcements, and we'd sent two of our big guns. We'd sent the Hood and the Prince of Wales. Uh, the battle, though, rather short. HMS Hood was sunk within 10 minutes, uh, killing all but three crew members. So it's a comprehensive sort of... Uh, and that's where I imagine there was fire involved, or at least explosions because right. I believe the magazine went up. So Jesus. just one massive hell storm of an explosion. HMS Prince of Wales, it managed to set off two torpedoes. It got two shots off and it managed to land two hits on the Bismarck before it had to leave due to excessive damage. Amazingly, though... It's the black joke when you need it. Yeah. Well, no, they got two shots away and it's fine. Yeah, because... the black joke would have gone in there, sunk it, saved every everybody from it. Mm. Well, by this point, the black joke had been... Dismantled for what? A hundred years? What did it get made into? It didn't. They just burnt it. Oh, because they didn't realise it was a magic ship. Yeah, there's just yeah. A, a pouch of ash somewhere. Mm. They do have some ash from it, so that's good. You snort that, you can run through walls. 
But um, yeah, they got two shots away. They were taking such heavy damage. Prince of Wales went, we've, we've got to get out of here. And they pulled off. But of the two shots that hit, one just so happened to puncture the fuel tanks on the Bismarck. And the Bismarck was forced to abandon pursuit of the crippled ship because it was leaking fuel. And if it oh, conti- so these were all like diesel engines. Yeah, and if it continued the pursuit of the um, Prince of Wales, it might catch it, but it was probably going to end up stranded with no fuel in the middle of the Atlantic, which is it's not a good place to be, even if you're in a massive warship. Mm-hmm. You, you need some power, and they're not going to be able to find a sail big enough to raise to, to move the Bismarck. It needs, it needs those engines working. So the Bismarck, they decided that what they're going to have to do, turn it around, go over to German-controlled France, just pop to the coast, patch up the tank, refuel, jobs are good and they'll go on again. They're fine. It's, it's going to delay them a little time, but they'll be right. Um, and the Bismarck almost made it safely, but they'd under- underestimated just how keen the British were to capture the German flagship while it was damaged. Because the HMS Prince of Wales radioed through, you know, it's, it's leaking fuel, it's damaged, and all of the guys at headquarters of the Navy went, we're not going to get another chance. We are not going to, you know, we're not going to have it damaged and without reinforcements. Again, we need to follow it. We need to strike. This is this is our time. So they sent the HMS Ark Royal, which was a very, very early version of an aircraft carrier. And it launched its 15 biplanes. Wow. Yep. Biplanes. Jesus. Uh, as a Hail Mary, just, you know, you've got this massive, sophisticated... But they've got anti-aircraft... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is what I mean. They've got this massive, sophisticated, the most advanced warship. And because they just they can't let this chance go, they're just going to send the biplanes up on the off chance something happens. Which they're willing to sacrifice balsa wood yeah, and... the 15 balsa wood things. And the oh, guys wearing the, those those leather caps with the goggles sewn in. Is it those people? The the biplanes, I should point out, they went up in terrible weather. This was like rough seas. God. And they sent up these guys in the rickety biplanes. They managed to land two shots again. All of the biplanes, two shots. What were they firing? They're just dropping heavy items. I believe they are. There's some guy strapped to the top. (laughs) I know they were equipped with heavy guns, but they managed to land two shots, which again, you know, it's it's not a lot considering this is a heavily armoured ship. But one of those shots just so happened to jam the rudders. Oh. So the Bismarck has been hit four times at this point. All in its crucial points. Yeah. And of those four shots, one we has only have two weaknesses. The, one of them's punched the chances? fuel and the other one has jammed the rudder. So it is now... Just um, going around in a big circle. Yeah. And the turning circle on that thing is terrific. He's going around in a mile-wide circle, <laughs> leaking fuel into the Atlantic. It's still, it's still fully operational in terms of its guns, so you can't get anywhere near it, but it's not going anywhere. But the British ships, they thought, this is our chance, and they moved in, and British ships started pummeling the Bismarck with heavy fire. Now, the weird thing is, because of the way it was designed, even though the British ships were getting loads and loads of shots in, there was only superficial damage being done to the Bismarck. It's like it had 40 massive, inches of iron. Yeah, it had anti... It, you know, its armour was designed specifically to deal with uh, torpedoes, to deal with all the sort of heavy munitions. So it wasn't actually being damaged that much. I mean, you know, the top of the ship looked like a bloody shooting gallery and the holds and everything, but the actual... The bit that makes it float, all good, no problem. But at some point, oh. someone on that ship got a bit skittish 
and the decision was taken to scuttle it. So they were going to blow it up themselves. They were going to blow holes in the ship and scuttle it. Why? So that it didn't fall into British hands. What's that? Even though they weren't sinking and they weren't close to sinking and they had quite a lot of munitions left to sort of fight back and possibly wait for reinforcements, somebody... Is it, did they have two high expectations of how secure they were? It might have been the case. you're of, thinking, yeah. I am in this impenetrable war machine. Yeah. Nothing and can touch us. They've, they've, and they've the sustained a little of, bit of damage and yeah. all the confidence is dropped out of the bottom. Yeah, but you say they've sustained a little bit of damage. They've sustained a little bit of damage from the equivalent of a tugboat, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. And a biplane has taken them out. At that point, you probably are going to be like, are you, sh- are you sure we're not on a cursed ship? But the decision was made to scuttle it. Unfortunately, the radios weren't working properly. And the decision to scuttle the ship was made, but nobody thought to inform the crew that they were about to scuttle the ship. So the crew weren't making for the lifeboats and trying to, you know, get away from the areas that were about to be exploded. Um, As a result, only 115 of the entire 2,000 plus crew survived off the Bismarck. Yeah, it was a disaster. Were they picked up by British? Well, the British British started picking them up, but then they received a warning that German U-boats were in the area. So the reinforcements were coming. The Bismarck Mm. had hung on. Uh, but the British, they decided that they needed to abandon the search for any other survivors. And they have cooties as well. Mm. So they're, they're about to start seeming off. Steaming off. Seeming off. Yeah. They're, they're going semen off. off. <laughs> they're gone. We're getting the semen off. <laughs> we're getting the semen off, but now we've got to stop getting the semen <laughs> off because we've got to get out of here. Um, and they, they started steaming away when the crew from the HMS Cossack, Ooh. they heard a sad wailing kind of sound. Like a... No, no, definitely not a dog kind of sound. It was a bit more high-pitched than that. No, it's Corey Mittens. Looking out, they saw a soggy black and white cat sat on a piece of wood. That's Mittens. And they took the decision to fish the cat out before retreating. It is unknown what the cat had been called as part of the crew of the Bismarck, but Um, it was quickly given a new name. Corey Mittens. Oscar, and there's a reason for that. It was chosen as the name because it's the name of the red and yellow flag that denotes a man overboard. Hmm. So the Oscar flag is the flag you show if a man has fallen overboard. So it's, it's a fun little pun. It's a little little naval play on words there. I bet they all had a good laugh. I bet they did. I bet whoever went, <laughs> Oscar, they went, nah, nah. I think it was heartier than that. I've, I've never been at sea. I can't do a hearty <laughs> naval laugh. <laughs> but imagine 30 people doing <laughs> 30. Now layer it. You can do editing now. <laughs> 30 sailors with emphysema. <laughs> and it's at this point that our story really begins. Because we're following the cat. Oscar stayed on the Cossack for a few more months, enjoying the Mediterranean sun during some rather uneventful convoy missions. You know, he's just lying on his back, his little pink belly. Mm -hmm. He's a a lot happier because instead of being on a a ship that kept getting shot at in the Atlantic, he's now in the Med. Mm. On a ship that's just doing nice, easy convoy missions. No, no bother. Fresh fish for every meal. Probably. Mm. That fine Mediterranean living. Um, until fancy some cheese in October I couldn't 
in October 1941, when, during an escort mission from Gibraltar to England, the Cossack was hit by a U-boat torpedo. The initial explosion killed 159 of the 190 crew, but the ship didn't sink for another three days, and this gave enough time for the HMS Legion to rescue the remaining 31 sailors, who brought with them a rather grumpy cat called Oscar. Bless him. Oh, Corey Mins. Yeah, he's doing well. Despite being sunk twice in 1941 alone, Oscar was given the nickname Unsinkable Sam. Oh, Christ. And he was adopted as mascot by the HMS Ark Royal, which you'll remember was the one that fired the biplanes. Oh, he, he was gutted when he got that name. What, Unsinkable Sam? Yeah, because he's like, now I'm on every adventure. <laughs> when he should, my name's really Wet Willy. <laughs> My name's Lazy Steve. <laughs> well, Unsinkable Sam. I'm Cursed Curtis. Mm. The cat. I like the alliteration and I like how how it's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was um October nineteen forty one that he was taking a boy. Yes. So he's not having any little Cory kittens. He was not having any Cory kittens. So that was October nineteen forty one, yeah? November nineteen forty one. Another U boat torpedo. And this time, it's one that hit the Ark Royal. And it finally sank about 30 miles away from Gibraltar. All but one of the crew survived. Is that an island off Spain, Gibraltar? Yes. Continue. Yeah, so all but one of the crew survived. And you wonder about that one member of the crew, because when I say it finally sunk about 30 miles away from Gibraltar, they were towing it back to Gibraltar, because the Ark Royal was quite a big, important ship. And it was like, well, if we can get it back to port and we can fix it that's going to be a damn sight cheaper than building a new one from scratch so how how that one person died is beyond me because they had it was like a week's notice that this ship was sinking if you if you can't get yourself into a position of safety within a week of being told that a ship's going to sink you're obviously i mean i might actually count it as suicide well you could have died from something completely (laughs) yeah i suppose Oh, dear, bless him. <laughs> yeah, bad stomach bug. Seasickness. <laughs> um, yeah, what most... noise was that? <laughs> most of the crew survived, including Oscar, who again was found clinging onto a floating plank. And I quote from a sailor who picked him out of the ocean, angry, but quite unharmed. <laughs> he was transferred to the HMS Lightning for the 30 miles to Gibraltar. Can you just leave this fucking cat alone? Well, having been on board... For three sinkings within a year. The you Brit- know they just torment it. Mm. No one's nice to this cat on the ship. No, I think they are. They're all f- flicking stuff at it because they're bored. No, Making no. Making it dance and getting it drunk. It's the only bit of innocence that you've got on the ship. There's... No, it's the only bit of fun for the sailors who... No, there's a, there was another ship, and you can search boredom. for this. There was one ship's cat. I can't remember the name, but they made a tiny hammock, and there's a picture of all the sailors just crowded round pointing at the tiny cat in the hammock as it's sort of asleep. And it's the most innocent, pure, beautiful image. You're just all these people going, look at him! Joe, that cat's dead. Well, all, all of the people in this story are dead, but, you know... No, I mean, in that picture, that is a dead <laughs> it's cat. It's a dead cat. Anyway, having been on board for three sinkings within a year, the British were starting to see that Oscar, less of a mascot, more of an omen of doom. Yeah. You know, you see that cat on your ship, you know, shit's going south. Uh so he was confined to the offices of the governor of Gibraltar in order to try and ensure that he could not do any further damage. Where is he? Oscar, he, where is he? 
he's in Gibraltar now and they've confined him to the offices of the governor of Gibraltar. So he's on shore leave at the moment in right. the offices of the governor of Gibraltar. Is he happy that he's got this cap? I don't I don't imagine he was given a choice. The I, office is going to sink. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? The office was hit by a German U-boat and sank. Sank into a sinkhole. No, um, unfortunately, it isn't that easy to break a curse from a supernatural feline. And Oscar wasn't done. Because if you were listening to the story... He was on three ships that sank, but he'd also been on two other ships. Was he originally German, Oscar? Yeah. He's safe from the Bismarck yeah. mark, right? So the, the H- Ark, the Legion. Oh, what's the last one? Well, the HMS Legion, that hadn't sunk yet. But it did manage to sink in March 1942, and it sank whilst tied up in dock, awaiting repairs. Mm. The front magazine... So where they stored all the gunpowder and stuff, was hit during a German bombing raid and exploded, causing the whole thing to just sadly roll over and sink while in dock. Uh, with the funnel... St- Imagine that very slowly when you yeah. describe that. Uh, everyone's like, oh. The funnel was still resting on the jetty of the dock. So the rest of it was underwater and this funnel was just sadly sort of leaning on the dock. And it took them until 1946 to finish clearing up that mess. So the dock wasn't fully operational again for another four years because it took that long to deal with what had happened. And the HMS Lightning, the final ship... Think how long it takes you to clear your house when you're moving. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> how long it takes to clear a dock yeah. <laughs> from a warship that's just in bits all over it. There's that part when you move house where you open a drawer and there's all that stuff that you put to the back of your head. For... <laughs> it goes in that drawer. It lives in that drawer. What's it for? It's not for anything. It just stays in that drawer. Yeah. Have you ever even opened that drawer? Yes, I opened it three years ago. To stuff things into it. <laughs> I opened it three years ago to find a, a certain size battery. <laughs> it was not in there. So I closed the drawer again in anger. And now I can't open it because <laughs> something's, something's in there holding it shut. The HMS Lightning. I feel like I've stolen that from someone. The final ship that Oscar had been What's on. What's it with babies and aeroplanes? The HMS Lightning, the final ship that Oscar had been on, it sank in March 1943 when it was sunk by two German torpedoes near Algeria. The two direct hits managed to completely destroy both boilers, all the front torpedo tubes, the anti-aircraft guns and the steering within a couple of minutes. So those are all things you might want to have on your ship. The order to abandon the ship was given and, amazingly for a ship that Oscar had been on, 183 of the 227 crew survived. Mm. So that was, it was actually quite quite mild, considering. In total, Oscar had travelled on five ships in his life, and all five had sunk within a two-year period. So you have to feel for the poor sailors who were tasked with transporting Oscar back to Britain, because he didn't stay in Gibraltar. They can't fly him. No. Oh, God, no. He's terrified. Presumably, Oscar washed up onto the shore of Ireland, clinging to the remains of his latest ship. He was given a place to stay. Why are we presuming this? We're assuming this because I don't know how he got to Ireland, but he did. And given his track record, whoever brought him across the ocean wasn't going to survive the experience. Um, He was given a place to stay in a seaman's home in Belfast called A Home for Sailors, which is nice because it it says what it does. Yeah. It provides a home for sailors. I feel informed. Mm where he would often trot down to the beach to glare ominously at passing Cats boats. trot. They do. They definitely can trot. I don't have a cat. 
But trot's more of a no. They do. They do. do, do, do. It really a is horsey a horsey word. No, no, cats can trot. You you need to get yourself a cat and, and figure these things out. They're silent when they move. Trot, yeah, trots. Are no, they loud. do a silent trot. Honestly, I'll show you a video after this. He would trot. He would ambulate to the beach in some fashion, where he would glare ominously at the passing boats, putting the evil eye on them. Ambulate. And he died on the same beach in 1955 at the respectable age of 15. Is that old for a cat? It's not I mean, bad for a cat for a that's cat. been through so much. Yeah, it's not bad for a cat anyway. Uh, a painting of Oscar is held in the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. However, as it is not a photo, it is debated to this day if Oscar actually existed or if this is just a tall tale told by seamen to pass the days. Oh. But... That's quite a short story for us. So, with that in mind, would you like a few more short snippets of stories about other seafaring cats we know definitely existed? Yes. Fantastic answer. That's the one. Another cat that could deliver curses was called... Ask me again. Emmy. Ask me again. Let's have a quick break. No, I mean it. No. And you'll ask me again. No, we're not having a break. You've got a little bit... And then you can have a break. You, you, we're done when I say you're done. Oh, go on then. Another cat who could deliver curses was called Emmy. She was the mascot of the ocean liner RMS Empress of Ireland until May 1914, when she abruptly jumped ship in Quebec. The crew managed to find her, brought her back on board, but she immediately ran off again, not only abandoning the ship, but abandoning her newly born kittens. The crew had a schedule to keep, and they had no choice but to set off without Emmy. They lasted less than 24 hours before they crashed into a cargo ship in a heavy fog, sinking rapidly with the loss of over 1,000 lives. Is this like when sheep sit down before it rains? Yeah, but yeah, this cat abandoned its children because it knew what was going down. It had a feeling. And, it... and those kittens would have gone as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. A, a thousand human if only, if lives. If they had the motor skills. I mean, you think... You know, she she ran away twice. You wouldn't have had enough time to at least transfer one, pick it up by the scruff and run off with a favourite child. Or maybe that was it. She didn't want to pick favourites. <laughs> Mummy loves you all equally. Reminds me of it. Oh, goodbye is, forever. Is it a mouse tail? Mm. What's that? Fifel. Fifel. <laughs> yes. Except this one ends with all the kittens <laughs> drowning. Yes. But cats cursing British ships might simply be due to the way that the Brits treated cats. Awfully. Well, take the case of Sir Ernest Shackleton's cat, Mrs. Chippy. Mrs. Chippy was probably already annoyed on account of the fact that he was actually a boy. Even worse, he was on the endurance, meaning he was being taken into one of the coldest places on earth. (gasps) We've been on the endurance before. But Mrs. Chippy would have been apoplectic with rage after the ship became stuck when he was promptly executed. As Ernest felt, he would just be a burden. I mean, it's quite nice, really, considering how the rest of those people died. No, 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 this isn't that. This isn't the Franklin expedition. Oh. You see, the thing about this particular expedition is, uh, Ernest, he executed a cat going, well, I don't want it to go through the hardship. There's no chance of survival. So when you um, open the cupboard and realise you know, you've used the last tin of whiskers. Well, <laughs> you'd think this, but he, he, I mean, immediately, it's almost like they went... Oh, it was slowing down a bit and he just got the gun out and shot the cat because the crew of 28 men had recovered over two tonnes of food from the ship uh, and predictably 
every single one of the cat murderers survived, having walked across the frozen ocean to land. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them got frostbitten, but you know there was no need to kill a cat at that moment. As a counterexample, when the Norwegian cargo ship, the Rinder, was sunk by a torpedo during World War II, the crew in the lifeboat refused to abandon their ship's cat, and they rowed around the wreckage for hours, <laughs> calling to it until they heard a tiny little meow. Then, and this is a direct quote again, Shuffle. from the crew, we rowed as hard as we could and laughed and cried when we lifted the sopping wet furball aboard. The cat was renamed Rinder after the sunken ship and went on to live a long and happy life. So it's no wonder, in my eyes, that the Norwegians won the race to the South Pole. Compassion. Yes, because they hadn't, you know, incurred the wrath of cats. You love cats. The Royal Navy banned cats on ships in 1975. However, private ships could still do as they pleased and would often take a ship's cat. An example being Chibley. He was a ship's cat aboard the tall ship Picton Castle and tall ship a sailing ship. Um, This was a restored bark type of sailing ship that circumnavigated the world an impressive five times in the early 2000s. And as a result, Chibley covered approximately 180,000 miles at sea before she died in 2011. The greatest distance of any cat ever. That we know. No, that, that is the greatest distance in nautical miles covered by any cat the shore so i will leave you with chibley but that is the story of unsinkable sam cat stevens has been around the world more than him yeah but cat stevens is no longer cat stevens he's yusuf oh yeah he is yeah so fortunately he no longer counts merry christmas everyone So what did you think of Unsinkable Sam and cats in general? As a, as, a, as a bait and switch, we started with German history. I don't really like cats. I haven't found a cat I enjoy. You're not meant to enjoy it. You're, you're meant to tolerate it. That's the thing about owning a cat. You don't... You, you build an uneasy alliance with the cat. I've only had one friend cat. Um, I had a cat for the summer. Is this is this the cat that kept turning up to Dad's house and demanding tuna, and then I rang the vet because it was very emaciated. Bex, the cat, well, it was very emaciated and it kept coming round, and we a black cat, I, yeah, and I took it to the vet and it had been chipped and they got the owner and the owner came and picked it up, and she was an old lady and she was very happy to have Bex back because apparently Bex hadn't been round for a week or so, and then the very next day. He's back at the house. Bex was back at Dad's house asking for more food. And I think Bex had just decided that... Well, I think Bex was emaciated because the old lady had been forgetting to feed Bex. And that she just decided to ship out and be like, I can do better. I can do better than you, old woman. I think it, we, me and Harry called him Jacob. We uh, just named him. Oh, it was actually called Bex. All right, I didn't know the, that. Because when they bleeped it... Oh, right, Bex. Yeah, it came up with the name and the address and that. Well, there was a summer where I was living in the garage at the bottom of the garden. In between, like, uni. I'd come back for the, for the summer. And um, Kate had gone to Amsterdam and brought me some legal high back. And it was cat mint tea. Which, mm. And it was this big tube of cat mint tea. And the cat liked the cat mint? Or yeah, because it was just... Yeah. It was just 
So you got high. a cat high. But it... It, it got itself high. You're supposed to put it in a ball or a sock. What do you, what do, you do with cat mint? With catnip. Cat, just... Yeah, so the cat mint tea was catnip. Right, you just you, you just rub it. Because you, you get it in a kind of... You almost make it powdery and then you just rub toys in it and eventually... Right, so I, but I was taking handfuls of catnip and just throwing it on the floor. Oh, that'll do it. That'll get your cat high. And then, because I'd come out for a, a cigarette hmm. and it'd be rolling around the thing and then I'd go out indoors for a few hours and come back out and it'd be still rolling around. It's quite strong stuff to a cat. Yeah. Although a certain percentage of cats don't I wish don't, you hadn't told me the story about him, like, down and out and... Well, no, I mean, I'm guessing he found Coming another... back to our house. Yeah, he found another home. He was just like, this This old woman clearly is forgetting to feed it. Yeah. So he shipped out, and then I, thinking I was doing a nice thing, took it to the vet, had the chip read. They're like, right, okay, we found the owner. The owner's coming to pick it up. And I was like, oh, I've done a really nice thing. And then the very next day, I was like, meow, oh, it, what? Because it wasn't even close. It was like, a, you know, it was... Was it, it miles away? Yeah, yeah miles I always away. See it around. I'll probably see it when I go around. yeah. I, th- yeah. I seriously think it had just given up on it's, this woman. It's quite a sweet cat. Mm. Where did really? um, my flatmate got his cat stolen? Oh, that's bleak. It was weird. Like we were living in one place in Brighton, um, and the neighbours had been feeding. Oh, so it was the cat. A... And then we moved like across the city, but it wasn't further. It wasn't enough for the cat to not return back to the original house where the people were feeding it. Oh. And in the end, after bringing it back, and you've got to keep it indoors yeah, for yeah. two weeks, so it, re- it acclimatizes to that environment. But every time they let it out, it'd run straight back to the thing. And in the end, they just had to give the cat to this, these to the neighbours, yeah. Yeah, dickhead neighbours. Whoever they are, I hate them. I hate them with a the man's passion. Yeah, I don't think you can own. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you can have a cat as a pet. And I, I know I you have, have two, two, but I'm just going to ignore that. And go with my own opinion. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah. We're learning to debate. That's that's fine. I present you with evidence. I ignore your evidence, and I present you with my strongly held mm. opinion. Yeah. Good. That's all right. right. I'm going to save this. You can have a break. <laughs>